0: Welcome to the Empower to Connect podcast, where we come together to discuss a healing-centered approach to engagement and well-being for ourselves, our families, and our communities. I'm JD Wilson, and I'm your host. And today on the show, we got a special treat for you. We've got Dr. Jim Henry, who's the professor and project director from the Children's Trauma Assessment Center, or CTAC as it's called, in Western Michigan University. Um, Dr. Henry has been... um, doing this work of uh, running assessments for kids who have experienced trauma for um, years and years and years and years. And uh, in, in my experience in talking with him and in hearing him teach some um, a few weeks ago, I have not heard a person speak on how to be present with kids, how to hang in there, how to process um, incredibly hard things that you might hear from a spouse, a parenting partner, a friend, um, a brother, sister, aunt, cousin, um, one of your kids, uh, somebody else's kids. I've never heard someone speak about how to be present in the face of Um, hearing such difficult things as Dr. Henry was able to communicate. Um, There's a saying around CTAC that Jim loves the kids, and uh, you will hear why as you listen to the episode today. Um, One of just the most um, interesting, warm, loving, just great people we've had on the show um, ever before. We love all our guests, and and Dr. Henry is no no, um, change from that. And so I will say, uh, buckle up for just a great episode uh, talking about the power of being present uh, with your kids and how to walk through that well. So without any further ado, here he is, the one and only Dr. Jim Henry. Well, all right, as I said in the introduction today, we're here today with Dr. Jim Henry and it, Dr. Henry, rather than just walk through uh, all of your <laughs> accolades, accomplishments, all of that, um, I'll, I'll uh, we'll go through that later. But uh, I, I figure maybe the best place for us to start is for people who aren't aware of your work and, and what you've done, um, why, why don't you kind of share with us uh, what you do, and then we'll get into how you got
1: there. Okay. So I had spent 17 years in Child Protective Services as a worker and supervisor, and as You can tell if you're seeing me anyways that I'm an older man. And so trauma was just beginning to be uh, an awareness. And the work of Bruce Perry was beginning to take hold about the impact of trauma in the brain. And so when I was in CPS, I really wanted to continue to be with kids. And I knew if I went up the hierarchy of Department of Health and Human Services, that that would take me away from kids. And kids are my soul and families and working with families. And so I got a PhD while I was a CPS supervisor. And when I received that back in 1994, my goal was to become a professor, but really not to be a kind of a typical professor, I wanted to start a trauma center for kids that looked at the impact of trauma on neural development and relational, emotional, and psychological development. And so when I came and was hired as Western Michigan University to be a professor where I'm still now, that goal was, how do we do this? Because what I was most interested in is How do we give the information to the people that matter? Mm -hmm. And the people that matter the most are the caregivers, the parents, because I always say to our caregivers, you're the most important person in that child's life. It's not me. People wait a long time to get in here, but I'm only here to help put puzzle pieces together. You're here to live and give your child that connection and to build the resiliency that he or she needs. And so in that process of starting the center we wanted to make it um, transdisciplinary so we connected with a speech and language professor an occupational therapy professor a physician um, and a clinical social worker and in 2000 we started And you know it's amazing you know we got twenty thousand dollars from a small grant and i thought we were rich of course <laughs> all right When you have dreams and somebody gives you money for those dreams, it's like, wow. All right. All right. We can do anything. Yep. Yep. So very quickly, um, we formed this team of the five of us and, uh, It was amazing in the sense that we had never, only two of us had worked together, but the synergy was amazing. And between us, I think we had 135 years of working with kids who had experienced either trauma or maltreatment. And so when we met and began the process, I'm one of those very passionate people that if we have $20,000 that we want to start tomorrow, we can't wait a day. And so fortunately, there were better heads in the group who said, (laughs) all right, we need better planning. And so... Um, And our physician, who I love dearly and is still with us today, 21 years later, you know, he just kept saying, Jim, if Mm. we build it, they will come. All right. And so we opened up in February and uh, we have never, ever had a day that we didn't when we were doing assessments per week um, that. That wasn't filled and beyond, so wow. it was clear, and Mark's vision was correct. And so now, as the director of the center, since its inception in 2021, 2000, um, and now 2021, it's we've expanded tremendously in terms of sphere of influence. Right. Yeah. Uh, and we really um, see ourselves not merely as a trauma assessment, neurodevelopmental service center but we also see ourselves as an advocacy center and so by that I mean that when a kid tells us their story then it becomes our responsibility as TBRI would say for voice and choice to speak that voice um, to empower that voice to be able to have other people hear that voice and so um, a lot of our work Revolves around doing the assessment and then working with the subsequent systems, whether that be mental health, whether that be DHS, yeah. uh, the judges, um, a variety of things. And so, yeah, so that's kind of, and in this process, we've been very fortunate to receive significant amounts of money for federal grants, um, yeah. just of that spread of this word of trauma. And now, the receptivity. And most recently in the last five years, we've really focused on schools um, as places to build trauma-informed classrooms. And so that's been, um, I think in the last five years, we've trained probably about 20,000 teachers and principals and and staff to be able to say, so how do we look at this child's behavior through a trauma-informed perspective and certainly integrating TBRI into that process. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, that's a, kind of a brief overview and uh, yeah. just to kind of give you an idea of, of what we do.
0: So, Jim, a lot a lot going on in the last 20 years is is what we just heard, right? And uh, you, you guys have just been going. And one of the things that you said toward the end, I, I think, was um, striking just thinking about, uh, you know, the nature of your work is not where you are uh, just coming in and hearing family success stories and stories of you know kids' greatest achievements and and triumph and all of that, right? Like you're you're getting to sit with families and and kids in some of the most unspeakably difficult moments in life. So without us going into the. Um, traumatizing listeners in the process of taking them through the the depths of what you've heard. A lot of sexual abuse cases, a lot of neglect cases, all of that. So one of the things that I wanted to talk about, how in the world do you do that for such a long time um, without uh, yourself getting what normally happens in in this world, which is being burned out or becoming cynical or hardened or um, I heard in one of the other interviews, you were talking about putting the wall up. Um, and, and you've got a pretty specific process behind that. Would you mind talking about that for a few minutes?
1: Sure. Sure. So and I was just training some folks this morning after a horrific event where a child was shot and killed and, and we were working with the therapists. And so what I said to them is, what our kids need most is for us to be emotionally present to them. Yeah. And so in that emotionally present how do we prepare ourselves to validate their pain? Part of the trauma healing is validating the pain the child has experienced or the family has experienced. And so that demands much from us emotionally. And unfortunately too often in professional training we're taught to push down our feelings, we're taught to we're taught to Negate our emotions. And yet, our emotions are part of our humanity. And what our kids need most is not our knowledge, they need our humanity. And that humanity is being with their story and holding that in a relationship where they feel listened to and understood. And I think that's a really important recognition that. Our kids can't trust right away, many of them who've experienced trauma, but what they're looking for is someone to understand them, to validate that internal experience. And so how and what I've been able to do from the teams I've worked with and my own individual work is to say that this... Is sacred work. I mean, anytime you have the time, chance to work with a child and a family, to give them a chance to be all who they can be, um, that is sacred. And yeah. in order to come to that work, I've got to bring myself and my whole self, not just my knowledge, but my heart, because that's what creates relationship. And so for me, um, we uh, I've really worked hard to be able to move it from I'm giving to the child or I'm giving to this family to how do I receive? And this is especially kind of an alternative view with children, because we talk about adults giving to kids, but way too often we fail to appreciate who they are and what yeah, they teach of life, all right? And mm-hmm. so whether that be their bravery, I was sitting with a kid on, on Tuesday, actually, and lots of things that happened, significant domestic violence and then sexual abuse, and her family had rejected her in the moment. And I said, wow, you are so brave. You're so brave that you keep telling people what happened, even though your family's been mad at you. And I said, wow, you being brave helps me be brave. Mm. And so I think this is that kind of, how do we take away from our kids um, what they are giving us if we're receptive versus that kind of narrow hierarchical mindset that I'm the adult, I know what's happening and I'm just giving to you. So replenishing, because we always have to replenish. Replenishing for me is the gift of being with kids. And I always say I have the best job in the world because three to four days a week, I'm trying to change systems for our kids through training and advocacy. And then the fourth, the last day I get to sit with kids and they always humble me and they always give yeah. back to me. Yeah. And it says, this is why we do this work, because there's great meaning and value. And when a child looks at you and says, Wow, you really understand what it's like to be me, there's this sacredness that transcends self. Mm. And that child walks away with a different experience of what an adult can be. Man.
2: That that resonates so deeply with me. Um, and we talk a good bit here on the podcast and in other places with the ETC about allowing our children to invite us on a journey with them. And I feel like that's so much of what you're echoing there, that it isn't really about us helping them and sort of moving on, but it's about really sitting in that space with them and allowing ourselves to be changed and transformed in the process, right? And that beautiful idea of just transformative experiences together. So I appreciate you for saying that, and that that speaks deeply to me.
1: I think the other part of that, Donna, is that We often talk about the metaphor of the bridge. So Mm -hmm. we're building a bridge over to the child to invite them on the bridge. Mm -hmm. And so it's our responsibility as adults to take what we know, what we've experienced and build this bridge to say, hey, come on on the bridge. All right. Yeah. So it's not we'll meet you halfway, it's we want to create it over to you. And that comes from trying to understand what it's like to be them. And one of the ways we always start our process of assessment is to say the goal today is for you to teach me what it's like to be you. Okay, That's That's Mm -hmm. our goal. And so then I want to be able to tell other people what it's like for you to be you. So they might understand you better. That's the goal. That's what I want most of all. And in order to do that, I want to talk to the expert, which is you. You're the expert on your brain, mm-hmm. not me. And, and I think that, again, as we build that bridge and invite, we have to, as TBRI would say, empower. all right? Mm-hmm. Empower them to know we want to hear from them. And we really do want to be taught because yeah. that's the beauty of who they are that needs to be shared in a way that people understand them differently than what they do already that's the goal of assessment
0: so i'm wondering jim i you know what you're saying it just sounds like anybody can do it. i just, we'll just be nice to kids and just let them teach you. Right. It's fine. Like that that's, that's all there is to it. Right. So knowing, knowing a little bit more about your work, like, you know, in the beginning of your journey, you talked about Bruce Perry's work and, and just beginning to understand the brain work. If, if you will take us into kind of the nerd world for a moment and just, will you break down some of, some of the brain science behind why you guys have the approach that you have?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure. And it's interesting i was talking to a parent today this morning literally and we were talking about what's happening in her brain right because knowing that the brain gets wired and knowing what happens when it does get wired helps me to increase my empathy all right so so if you look at it this way is to say historically traditionally culturally we have this idea of choice all right. Kids choose to do A, the right thing, or B, the wrong thing. And so we dichotomize this choice of good and bad, and you can make this choice. However, what the research clearly, certainly by Bruce Perry, Bessel van der Kolk, Judy Herman, Michael DeBellis, mm-hmm. many, Karen Purvis certainly, is that Our brains, because of experiences, build pathways that then become default, meaning that's where we go. And the most significant default is survival, right? And that's in the lower part of the brain. And so if I'm looking at a child and saying to myself, wow, he's telling me about the wiring in his brain, and how do I get now to appreciate he's doing the best he can, because this is how his brain is wired for protection, because he hasn't lived in safety, then my ability to respond to him and believe he's trying the best he can Mm. and communicate that. Becomes a very different set of responses to him, to my own understanding, and help other people. Because when the brain gets wired, building new pathways takes time, takes repetition, wow. and you know, oftentimes in foster care and adoption, certainly, you know, well-meaning, very well-intentioned. If you don't understand the brain, you can say to a kid, "You can trust me," and then the adult thinks, well, because I told them I'm trustworthy, you can trust me, that they'll trust. And and my response is always, hey, they can't trust. Their Mm -hmm. brain is wired. And because you tell them to trust them just diminishes their own internal experience that adults have hurt them. And so how do we say, wow, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to try and do everything I can to help you to be the best you can be. But I know that right now you can't trust me. And it's fine. Of course you can't. And this is why you can't. But I want you to feel understood. So when we understand the brain, we understand what the brain and how the brain is wired and what trauma does to the brain then we can begin to validate why our kids have the perceptions they do. The other thing about the brain and its criticalness is the kind of this distortion that we know trauma does that says when bad things happen, it's my fault, okay? And so Mm -hmm. that experience of this must be me when I was talking to the little girl yesterday about domestic violence and then sexual abuse, and she was talking about... Some impacts, and I said, Wow, when I sit with kids, many of them tell me they think they did something wrong and that there's something wrong with them because otherwise this wouldn't have happened, and that's what they believe. And she just looked at me with a tear in her eyes and said, I think that all the time. Mm. Now, as an adult, if I just think that's um, what is in the head but not wired, all right, so in other words, because I tell them not to believe that it's not your fault, they can't do that, yeah, because of. They need to build the pathway over time. And so that becomes so important because knowing the brain builds empathy. It creates opportunities to build new pathways. And three, it honors that the child is doing the best they can Mm -hmm. and, I just got off a call with a therapist who's working with a six-year-old and three-year-old who, with the ants and have had significant trauma. And they were talking about ways to help the ants. And one of the things the boy said, will you please, the six-year-old said, can you please tell my aunt I'm trying as hard as I can. And, and so I think it becomes our role as helpers to say to the ants, wow he's doing the best he can. And if we start as that is the premise, rather he could do something different if he wanted to, Yep. then we start enjoying the child and building that empowerment and that sense of esteem that he or she is needing as that building block to resiliency.
2: Mm. I mean, you've said a couple of things that have just made me feel like I wish I could have five you through the screen. And a couple of them were over time, Like when you said over time, it's just, you know, I thought, oh, that's it. And so many parents and caregivers, myself included, you know, we forget that in the day-to-day nitty-gritty of just, you know, one thing after the other. The fact that like rewiring the brain Mm -hmm. happens over time. Mm -hmm. And so you've said things like empathy and over time and building blocks that I think are so incredibly important to not getting maybe caregiver burnout or, you know, just growing weary. Do you have any more thoughts or reflections about that?
1: Absolutely. And I think that's the difference between knowing, right? I know it up here in my prefrontal cortex, things that are, but actually doing and living it out. Yeah, Yeah. And and because we're all human, this brings us back to being human. I said to this adoptive mom today, who's really struggling with her child very significantly. She's nine and many things, complex trauma, and, and um, really, really wanting to. And I just said, you know, we have to be honest in my experience with adoptive parents that sometimes you get so overwhelmed that you have to disengage, mm-hmm. that you have to emotionally pull back. And I wanna give you the grace to do that as a human being, not in judgment that I shouldn't have this, no, if you're human, you're going to have experiences where you're so overwhelmed that you become reactive or that yeah. you have to disengage. Yeah. And so I think that as what we don't do well, and that's part of our cognitive-focused society, is yeah. we think information changes people, right? Yeah. And that's not true. And yeah. I was uh, our center has been a part of the National Child Traumatic Stress Work network for I don't know 20 years now and we went to a session one time and by three people who i know very well from across the country who are adoptive parents and foster parents and i was a foster parent myself as well and these three spoke and every each one of them said i know what the right answer is but there are days when i can't give the right answer because I'm frustrated or I'm angry or I'm tired or I didn't sleep well. And and I think this is where I really appreciate the word. How do we be kind to ourselves and knowing that each minute is a new minute to start over again, all right? And, And rather than a reflection of, oh, this didn't happen, what do we learn and how do we then create the new opportunity to learn in the next 15 minutes? And I think for parents, that's huge, all right, because it's seemingly like I can't see the future. I can only see the frustration in the moment. And yeah. I think it's our role as professional helpers, some of us in that field, is to give the long view. Um, there's a um, very famous um, Catholic bishop who was killed and martyred, named Oscar Romero, he was in El Salvador and when he was they were trying to bring liberation to El Salvador he said we have to have the long view all right mm-hmm. we have to have the long view it's it's we're all contributing to this in rewiring the brain to continue to remind ourselves that this moment is not the long view
2: I love that, Jim. I think, oh, we're all doing the best we can in mm-hmm. any given moment, right? This little guy wanted his auntie to understand that. And I think sometimes I just <laughs> need the people in my life to to know that about me too. Like, give me a hot second and I will refocus and readjust. But sometimes we're all doing the best we can in any given moment. So I think that's so true of us as parents. And
1: again, I mean, we all know that during the pandemic, yeah. certainly, you know, we've all been tested. And yeah. we've all had moments of coming up short and usually have a tremendous um, patience. And at one moment I snapped at somebody. So I'm like, God, where did that come from? All right. And, and just that reflection to say, wait a minute. All right. I need to apologize. And you know, my stress level is up here yeah. and in the red zone. And those are those external factors that sometimes we forget and what happens when we don't get the outcomes for our kids that we want as a parent, caregiver, teacher is we then either project onto the child, it's your fault, or we internalize it at our, I'm not, I suck as a parent, okay? Yeah, totally, totally. <laughs> yeah. and, and so how do we move out of blame and into recognize the complexity of this, all right, yeah. and the complexity of rewiring, which then allows us to make mistakes and to fall and get up. I I love uh, Nelson Mandela, who's one of my mentors from South Africa who spent 27 years in prison. And he said, please don't judge me by my successes, but judge me by my failures and how many times I got up after I failed. Mm -hmm. And I think as parenting traumatized kids, that's how we need to look at ourselves rather than saying, wow, look at these outcomes. No, look at how challenging and how do I get up and keep going. Man,
0: I, I was thinking, Jim, about I, I read earlier about you testifying in court at one point um, as the fitness of, of parents of kids who have been neglected. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things that you mentioned was, you know, it, and it, it doesn't get hit on in the article nearly the way that I wish it did. But uh, he said, after I talked with the parents about their upbringing and and the, the trauma that they had faced in their growing up, we talked about the pathway they could take to be successful parents if they were able to get, and basically you were analogizing the care needed for the kids to the care mm-hmm. being needed for parents as well. For a lot of us, we're snapping and having moments where we are, um, you know, we, we're starting to learn about our kids' histories, about the brain, and all of that. And we're not realizing we've got trauma ourselves that's unresolved that maybe we've got to deal with as well. And so, for, for parents who are maybe getting into that um, that conversation, are there any kind of first step, uh, you know, piece of advice you would give to those parents to mm-hmm. to do the internal work themselves?
1: Yeah. So uh, Dan Siegel, who's a brain expert, um, amazing, and written many books, and on kids and attachment and trauma, mm-hmm. um, as a phrase. And it's to name it is to tame it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the first step in any change is to name what's happening for me. Okay. So that when we name it by naming it, it becomes malleable. It becomes something we can work with. All of us have had that experience of why do I keep doing this over and over again? It's not healthy. Um, you know, and it gets me into all kinds of messes and yet I keep doing it. All right. And then suddenly you have that aha moment, right? Like, yeah. Wow. Uh, now I get it. Wow, why did it take me 20 years, right? What, what? And, and, and in that moment, then that's the starting place, right? That reflection, that starting place of being able to name. And, and I think that all too often, unfortunately for parents, they don't have a name for what they're experiencing. Right? Yeah. My experience working with thousands of parents is parents don't mean to traumatize their children. Right, that their reaction, whatever if it's maltreatment, is a minimization that that's going to continue to impact. All right, because once the event is over, then I can live with it because I don't have to think about the long term harm. All right, Mm -hmm. and so part of helping parents is to give them that naming, that language, Mm -hmm. and oftentimes the way I try to do that is to be able to say to a parent, do you ever remember a time when you were a kid and something happened that scared you and that maybe something happened in your family and you couldn't get it out of your mind. Mm -hmm. And so it kept coming back and probably even today you can remember that. That's what the impact of trauma is, all right? And that continues to have that ripple effect. And so the first stage is naming, And to be able to have someone with whom you have a relationship with that you have confidence in that you can share something about yourself. All right. So as to be validated. All right. Because we all need to be validated. And in that validation as a parent, I'm trying the best I can. And wow, I heard this and suddenly I'm just thinking about so many things about what happened to me and how that may be coming out now. And that then starts the pathway. Um, we did a training for a residential and actually three very large group homes. And we've come very close. We've done many trainings there now the last three years. And the woman who is in charge of the house mother it was an amazing woman um, said to me, Jim, the first time, We came to hear about trauma. I didn't hear anything about the kids because you were explaining my life. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And she said, I had to come back a second time because then I could translate it to the kids. You were giving me this language that suddenly began to fit the parts Mm -hmm. together that then made sense. And so I think as we think about parents' awareness, parents' reflection of that this Mm -hmm. isn't, about what's wrong with me, it's about what happened to me, Mm -hmm. which is the great phrase by Sandra Bloom, the founder of Sanctuary. And and I think that when we take that and give our parents the freedom to explore about, wow, now I'm seeing the connections that then they can begin the healing process that makes them want to be the best parent they can. Mm -hmm. 99.99% of all the parents I've worked with Love their children. Yes. Their yeah. Children. Yeah. And yep. we have to start. Yep. We have yep. to start with their love and say, "I know you want the best for your child." Now we yeah. may not agree what you think is the best and what I, but I want to honor that intention in you, that uh-huh. you do want the best. Yeah. And sometimes we don't know how to get there, all yeah. right? And when a past trauma mm-hmm. affects that, then it really makes it so difficult, and then I get overwhelmed. Lots of times, after we watch parents with kids and they do activities, we give them to do out of fair play. And and parents will say to me, you know, if I say to them, wow, you did really good with the task, but I didn't feel a lot of nurturing um, or engagement. And they often will say, you know, I know how to do the tasks, but I don't know how to be relational. I never experienced being relational yeah. growing up yeah. and I don't have that well to dip, to dip from, to give, how do I be relational? Because always, again, that kind of question that starting place. But I think, you know, we too often move to criticize parents and don't under seek to really understand them and start from the most important place, which is your love for the child. And I know you want to do all you can and then that brings us doing a journey together, rather than me criticizing and, and saying, you know, look what you did. No, yeah. I know you don't want to hurt your child. Yeah.
0: Gosh, that's so good. Um, well, I think there's there's one thought I had uh, that I wanted to to ask you about. Um, you know, for for a lot of us who uh, are parenting kids who have experienced trauma or loss, there there are some uh, big things that are shared with us from time to time and, and feelings that we may not be prepared to have heard or felt. Um, and I know that, I mean, you were just speaking to it, but for, for all of the parents who are are listening today, like we, we are, we're showing up to the fight, right? Like we're showing up ready to go. Um, and then occasionally we, we catch a haymaker we weren't ready for. We catch something that that knocks us on the floor. Um, and one of the things that I've heard you say before is that, um, you, you talked about, uh, CTAC being built with with the the head and the heart um, and that there's a process that you and your staff do every day of kind of, Debriefing what you heard because you, you don't want the wall to go up and and you want to make sure that um over time you're able to process. So for those of us who are are we're going to hear something uh, today, a feeling that's too big or or relive through something that was a really, really tough experience, how do we healthily sort of debrief as as parents, caregivers, and how can we do that for our our fellow parents kind of in our community as well?
1: So I appreciate that very much, J.D. I think that, What we've learned at CTAC is that we have to process the heart, all right? And that we have to process. And hearing those things that, you know, for me, I always know when I'm feeling that deep hurt from the child because I get a lump in my throat, all right? So I'm a lump guy. We all have different ways our body tells us. And so whenever I get that, which is often because of the stories we hear, I say to myself, ah, I'm so thankful I have it back because I don't want to mm. lose that, all right? Even though it becomes something that's held and you feel the hurt. But then the second part of what it is is say, okay, when I'm done sitting with this child or this parent, then I need to come back and to put it out there with my team, all right? I need to give voice to it, all right? Because giving voice gives me power, all right? Because I'm naming, as I said, Dan Siegel said, naming is taming. Yeah. And so for, for parents, especially maybe when it catches you off guard. And you know what I tell parents all the time is you're the most important person in that child's life. Mm-hmm. And the, the the most challenging part of therapy is we're putting telling a therapist on the therapist time, not the child's time. All right. Mm-hmm. And so it's 10 o'clock on Tuesday and so I have my therapy appointment and so now I'm gonna load doesn't usually work that way with kids. But yeah. no, now it's 10 o'clock at night and I'm putting that kid to bed and that kid looks at me and says, this reminds me of, yeah. this reminds me of. And yeah. so in that moment... Then suddenly this comes out, and I say that's so important that you create the safety. But you never know when it's going to come out. Is it? I've had so many parents tell me it's the car ride. Right? It's when he and I're in the car, and suddenly it's wow. And and what we often do that really Mm. frustrates me is that we say, well, this is for the therapist. But the reality is, no, this is for you. That's right. And and this is because of what you've created. And all that child needs is you to listen and to validate. And that becomes a sacred moment of you joining. All right. So how then, what does a parent do? Wow. Then I've got to go back to my spouse, significant other, my friend, my mom, my whoever and say, I'm hurting right now. I got a name. I got to tell you, I want to be vulnerable. I, I got this heart. I don't want to close it down. I want to yeah. open it. Yeah. One of our models at SeaTech is how do you open your heart as wide as the sky? And the number one way to do that is by embracing the pain of others and my own and not being afraid of it. And so I think communicating, J.D., becomes really important because mm. the more I hold it in, the more that I seek self-protection from mechanisms of I'm not going to feel anything. All right. I'm not going to allow myself and then I won't yeah, hurt so bad. That's right. And and that's where we pull up, as you said earlier, the wall rather than building the bridge of invite so that I can come back and do it again.
2: Yeah. Good. It it feels like, you know, h- how do we keep empathy? And, you know, you said something, and I I did sort of chuckle. It wasn't meant at all in a dismissive way. But there are so many times, like, when you're living this day in. And, yeah, mm-hmm. just at the end of the day, I'll say to my husband, I'm like, that was not on my schedule for today. <laughs> like, I did not have that hour marked for that conversation yeah. that— I think it's why I sort of say that word invited that like mm. that that child is risking in that moment. Mm. A as you said sacred invitation. Yeah. Are will you join me here in mm. this moment of pain or fear or flood of emotion or memory, you know. And that is as we, holy, sacred ground, and y'all, it is very often not on the schedule, right. you
0: know? Absolutely, so yeah. It Absolutely. just
2: isn't, it's, but, but if you're yeah. like, if you're just somewhat prepared for the fact that it can happen mm. <laughs> in a moment, you might have the wherewithal to, like, right. calm self and be present, you know, but yeah. I, I, do love, you know, that, the way you just phrased that, of that, that joining in with them in that moment. But I do have to usually step away and be like, "Well, that 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 was that. Okay, now, mm-hmm. you know, this is how I feel." Or you know, right. just yeah. Do you have any additional thoughts on that?
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and again, I think it goes back to um, TBRI when you talk about nurture and structure, right? Mm-hmm. And and I, I love that you know, if a child needs a nurture and we don't give them nurture, we fail them to grow. You know. That's right. and, and if they also need structure, you know, we fail yeah. to help them develop. And, and yeah. I think that, you know, we all kind of lean one way or the other. All right. So I'm a nurturer. Yep. All right. I've always been a nurturer. And yep. so yep. Um, my colleague is my, very much a structure. And so we always have these great moments of how do we bring these two together because both yep. are needed. And, yeah. and that's where we expand our own map of the world to say that, wow, I I need to learn more about this and do this better. And you may need to learn more about that. And sometimes it's scheduling, right? Um, right. right. Sometimes it is always at the most inopportune times and yet yeah. here's the moment, right? How do yeah. we be present in that moment about yeah. on the child's time, not our own and what we yeah. tend to do because adults are in the power it's most often on the adult's time and not the child's, which really then minimizes he or she that I'm not validated and it's not important. Mm-hmm. And the last thing we want our kids to walk away with is what they have to say thinking that it's not important because unfortunately too often uh, many of them have had that experience.
0: Yeah. So Jim, unfortunately, and I say that tongue in cheek. What I hear you saying is that uh, when we get invited into those hard moments with our kids, it means that we're doing something right. <laughs> Like What I think I wanted early on in that journey is like, I want connections to get me out of those hard moments. I want to run from mm-hmm. that pain. Right. And I need somebody to like, take them to, Hey, Hey, we're ready. It's time. Like we got some hard stuff. I'm going to leave. I'm going to go play candy crush and escape for a right. few minutes. Yeah. Um, exactly. And so I, I'm so grateful for that. And so grateful for you just, taking the time with us today to walk through all of this, uh, with us. And, um, I hope you do know now that you've been on with us once, it, it means that you're, you are a recurring guest. We'll have you on again right. at some point to talk about some more stuff, but, um, thank you so much for your time today. And, uh, and just, we, we appreciate it so much.
1: Well, thank you for all you do. And again, it's always about our kids and the other yeah. motto, of tech is we're all in this together. All right. No yeah. matter where, yeah. you know, yeah, they, so they can be who they can be. So thank you so much for having me.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Well, as I told you, it was going to be great stuff from Dr. Henry, and it really was. Uh, Big, big thank you to him again for coming on. And uh, the thing that stuck with me most of the week, um, especially uh, in the immediate aftermath of of recording with him, was that idea of of us uh, building bridges and not walls uh, around our hearts, especially with our kids. And so um, that's the lesson that I have taken from that and that I hope you do as well. So for Kyle Wright, who edits, and engineers, all of our audio, for Tad Jewett, the creator of all the music behind the ETC podcast, for Mark and and everybody on the ETC team, I'm J.D. Wilson, and we'll see you next week on the Empowered to Connect podcast.